Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing His ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, how are you all doing? Wow, okay, it's true. Second service gets more sleep. You guys are much better at that than... I think I got... In first service, it was like, woo! There was one person, they go, woo! (laughs) And then I had to come up here and make jokes about how they had low energy and they didn't think it was funny and I got insecure. It was really terrible. Uh, (laughs) Thank goodness that didn't happen today. Um, Anyway... So glad to see you here. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at Axiom. If we've never met before, I would love to meet you. Make sure you come up to me and say hello. And if you don't do that, I might run you down and be like, hey, hi, 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 hi. Um, so just know that that might happen. Um, we are continuing on today with our Acts series. Uh, for those of you who have been with us for a while, we, you know that we've been going through the Acts of the Apostles. Um, the Apostles, of course, are the first kind of uh, followers of this guy named Jesus Christ. They are the ones who first received his teachings and also uh, bore witness to the the signs and miracles he did. And they saw him uh, die and then raised from the dead. Jesus Christ is more than just a guy, though. If you uh, are new here today, we actually believe here at Axiom that God, the creator of the universe and like everything, became a man and lived with us here in the world. And he ate, he drank, he laughed, he cried. He was with people. He had friends. He had loved ones. He had a fam. He had family. He had parents. But he was also God. And that he came into the world so that, uh, to, so that we might have hope here. He came in, he conquered death, and began the work of establishing what we call his kingdom which is the restoration of everything that is broken here in this world. And that we believe that as followers of Jesus that we are part of that restoration, that we are working with God, partnering with him to bring love to the world, to restore, to make new, to make whole. And so in these texts, the Acts of the Apostles, we're reading about the beginning of this journey, the followers of Jesus the folks who first saw Jesus alive again on the earth, first heard his words. We've seen miraculous things leading up to this moment, and some previous weeks, some scary stuff too, a little bit. But a lot of wondrous, miraculous things are happening in these early years of the church. But before your eyes start glazing over and you think to yourself, oh, great, a history lesson from pastor slash teacher Eric. It's not just going to be a history lesson, because the reason why we're reading through this text is because we actually think that there is something good that God has for us here today, something for us to hear and to receive. Now, one of the kind of annoying things that we've been doing periodically with this, uh, with this series is we haven't been putting the text up on the screen. Instead, we've been doing this, as I said, annoying thing where we make you pick up a Bible and open it. 
And so if you could grab a Bible, there's some scattered around the room, or if you have like this smartphone thing, I have a flip phone, so I only know about the rumors of these Bible apps that exist. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and pull that up. Uh, we're going to be parked in Acts chapter 5. If you've never opened a Bible before, it's going to be like towards the back-ish, but not quite towards the back all the way. Um, I don't have the actual page number in front of me, but it's towards the back, kind of. If you look at the table of contents, look under the New Testament. What's the number? Oh, I I thought somebody was calling out the page number for me. (laughs) All right, Acts 5, we're going to be beginning in verse 17. I'm just going to read through our text for today, and then we'll get talking about it. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 17, then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Pause. Sorry, I said I was going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to read the whole thing just yet. Why are they filled with jealousy? Up to this moment, the apostles have actually been in a public square performing miracles, signs, wonders, and telling people about the good news of Jesus, all right? But the signs and wonders that they're performing are actually making people really kind of curious about these people, as you might anticipate. So it's making the priests and all of his associates and the Sadducees jealous. Why? Because these figures are the prominent, not just religious figures, but also social political leaders of the time in this particular community. They had serious investment to their authority in this circumstance. And when you see a bunch of people, if you're an authority figure and you see a bunch of yokels performing signs and wonders and getting a big mob riled up and excited, you'd probably say, pause too. And you'd say, okay, uh, this is a problem because now people aren't taking our authority as seriously as they should. Okay? So that's the context. So then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, They entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called the Sanhedrin, they called together the Sanhedrin, that is, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. And they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, uh the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. And word of the Lord. So, after signs and wonders 
from the previous section, we see this jealousy of the religious and political authorities kind of riling up, right? They're becoming jealous. They don't want to have a power struggle on their hands, and so they want to lock it down. They send out the, the proper authorities. It'd be like calling the police, saying, hey, look, there is like these guys who are riling up an angry mob. Could you please come and arrest them? So, they came and arrested them. Now, the part of this story, so I grew up in the church. We read, we read the Bible when I was in my house when I was growing up, so I was familiar with a lot of these stories as a child. But the thing that everybody liked to talk about in this section, the thing they liked to focus on was the next thing. During the night. Of course, it's at night because ambiance, because lighting, and it seems so cool. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors. What is an angel? For all, for all of you who maybe don't know, you're asking, what is this? Is this like an alien or something like that? Angel is a messenger from God, right? Spiritual entity, what we might think of as being intangible, sure, but not like a ghost or something like that. The God who created the universe sends what we call angels out to act in the world at times. And so an angel comes and opens the jail doors and brings them, that is the apostles, out. <sighs> oh, oh, holy, 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 right? The angels broke people out. That's awesome. End of story. Man, God is sure cool. He's sure powerful, right? Yeah, great. But then the angel says something to them. And that's the part that I don't remember ever hearing about. Because what I loved hearing was that the angel was super cool and was able to open jail doors and get people out and nobody knew what happened, right? Because later on, people are like, oh, there were guards standing outside and now the doors are closed. What in the world happened to these people? And so you're like, you as a reader, you're like, oh, it's so cool. God breaks people out of jail. But the angel doesn't stop there. In fact, he says something kind of stupid. Right after breaking him out of jail, he says, go stand in the temple courts and tell people all about this new life. Now you say, Pastor Eric, why did you say that that's kind of stupid? Well, let me just say, it'd be like doing something kind of illegal that you got arrested for out in front of Walmart and then getting put in jail, somehow mysteriously breaking out of jail, because spoiler alert, the angel did not pay their bail or something like that. Like what they did was not legal, right? So breaking out of jail and then turning around, walking down to the police station and doing the thing that you were doing in front of Walmart at the police station. You are begging to get arrested again. You've basically done most of the work for the cops. So here, please arrest me again. Thank you so much. And that is what I want to park on a little bit here in this story, is that the angel tells them to go back out and do the thing that they were just doing, but in like a worse situation. A former teacher of mine, when commenting on this section, his name is Willie James Jennings, he pointed out that the disciples are freed, but they are not safe. That's what we see here. They are freed, but they are not safe. In fact, they are never safe. And this is the sentence that gets me. Safety is not the inheritance of Jesus' disciples. 
only witness. And that is the wild, uncomfortable thing about this story. Yeah, there's like that comical section where people are trying to figure out where they went. What happened to them all? Oh, that's kind of weird. There's the cool section at the front where there's this miraculous breaking out of prison. But the real thing about this story is that they're only freed so they could be put back into jail. It is not theirs to be a life of safety or security. Now, I think, you know, there are folks who could come up and they could do some elaborate theological wriggling that justifies why. Well, that's just for them back then. But if we're taking this section of text, it's not just something that happened for some people a long time ago, but a possible invitation now. We have to ask ourselves, what is our jail cell? Now, I'm not advocating here that you all go out and start committing crimes and getting thrown into prison. That would miss the point. Because I think the point here is that the disciples did not get broken out of jail and then just go home to their families and say, wow, that was a close one. Let's take a few months off, recoup, see how we can do this in a more reasonable way, a safer way maybe, a way that's not going to end us up in jail. Let's just put a time out on this whole proclamation thing. Instead, the angel tells them to go immediately back out and they go. This is a boldness that does make an impression, of course. We see the guards, for good reason perhaps, are very careful about how they arrest the disciples later on, but they don't, they don't not arrest them. Does that make sense? The apostles still get arrested, even if it makes an impression. Because, yeah, the power of God is startling, we see here. The angel coming in, that is a startling force that makes the world uncomfortable. But that discomfort does not lead to liberation. It does not lead to safety. Rather, it winds them right back up in jail. I think when I read a passage like this, when I try to contemplate and reflect upon the prisons, the jail cells of my life, the things I want to avoid being in. Because, friends, nobody wants to be in jail. What are the things that I would want to avoid being in? Oftentimes, I pray. I pray to be freed from the jail and then to be sent home safely. And if that's you, this isn't a condemnation. It's just a recognition of a reality, I think, that each of us faces. That so often we think that what Jesus is freeing us from is the risk of what it takes to follow him. We read the texts, the words that Jesus says, and we say, well... Yes, 
those ones, but these ones over here, oh, he couldn't have really meant that. Come on. We allow our fear and discomfort to talk ourselves out of the temple courtyard. We convince ourselves that going home safely is just the thing to do. And you see it, many Christians today, we're afraid of things. As much as the world is afraid of things. We are afraid of government. We are afraid of, what cult- of culture. We are afraid of fill in the blank. We pray that people will think that we're nice. We pray that we will be free. That we will have liberty. We want to hide out and wait for the end to come. But what if the call is not to pray, hide out, and wait for the end to come, for the world to be judged while we hide in safety? What if the call is to go out and tell people all about this new life? And what is this new life? It is a life of true freedom. If we try to avoid the one reality that the Acts Church guaranteed, that is that you will in, in this world you will end up in prison, that you will be beaten, you will be laughed at by the hip, the cool, the relevant, and the powerful that the angel of the Lord free is not so you can run for the hills. It sets you free so, you can, you ret- you, so that you can return to the scene of the sacred crime and proclaim those words which are criminal to the world, that there is a new life in Jesus Christ and it alone will free you. Because we are not here today to say that we are free from a prison or from pain or from cultural irrelevance or from failure. We have been freed from death. The reality of Christ's kingdom is a promise of new and abundant life. And it is not a life that we wait to have happen in some future later date. It is a life that we enter into today and proclaim publicly and make known. And we go out into the world to let it know that there is a new life. There is hope that God is restoring all that which is broken, even in the spaces of the brokenness itself. God is there healing. And if we are running for the hills, if I am going home and hiding out and waiting for the whole thing to blow over, maybe I've missed the opportunity that God has invited me into. It's an opportunity not for safety, for security. It is an opportunity for hope, for the certainty of Jesus Christ. We have been freed. And it is a great, good, holy thing. And when the disciples, the apostles we read here, 
were called back to the temple to go before the very power that had imprisoned them and still persistently proclaim the new hope, the hope of new life. They listened, they heard, they received, and they received their real inheritance, which is not an inheritance of safety. It is an inheritance of witness. Part of the way that we bear witness to this reality of Jesus' transforming life is by proclaiming it in public ways, not just from a stage, but we do it around a table, a meal, a fellowship, an eating together, a drinking together, an including in, a drawing in, a fellowship and intimacy. Today we're going to be moving into a time of communion. And as we enter into that time and space, know that the table here is for you. That even as the folks who, who understand it fully, processed it, bear witness to it, step up here proclaiming the reality of Jesus' new life that is breaking through at all facets, in all places in this world. That even if you are not in full understanding of what's happening here, but you say, yeah, you know, there's something really good in what this Jesus guy was about. No, the table is for you. We believe that there is something powerful transformative that happens just by the participation and this communing, this coming together and eating, becoming one in spirit and intent. I'm going to be reading a prayer here in a moment, and after I finish up, I just want to invite you, either on your own or with folks around you, come on down these center aisles here grab the cracker, dip it in the wine or the juice, and as you go out through the sides, maybe gather with a few other folks and just eat with them. Be with them in this time. And if you don't know what prayer looks like, what prayer even is, maybe just sit in silence and just hear. Because I believe that God meets you in silence. I believe he's here in this room. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It has been made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often, and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow, and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. 
So won't you come with me to the table of the Lord?